1: Welcome to – hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have finally arrived at the final summer edition of the Deciding Point Our weekly podcast where we have broken down the countless results produced by the many players with college tennis ties each and every week in the pro tennis world. It's been a pleasure to help all of you tennis fans follow all of those results. They happen at the tour level, at the challenger level, the ITF level each and every week. And while they will continue to happen through the home stretch of this 2023 season, we have also arrived at the start of the college tennis year. We had our first results with players representing their schools out on court this past weekend. We are not going to focus on those here on today's show, but we're aware they're happening. We will also have our first Crack Rackets college tennis coverage on our YouTube channel this weekend as we are hosting a Pepperdine hidden quad, hidden dual event. It will be Pepperdine, Michigan, Kentucky, Louisville men's tennis teams all competing. We'll have that coverage for you first ball to last on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel in that spirit. While this show may continue to exist in some sort of different iteration, again, we wanted this to be the final week, our final summer edition of the show as we officially transition to the fall and the start of another college tennis season. That said, the good news for all of you listeners who have enjoyed these episodes, we got a busy podcast for all of you here today some big news in ITA ITF partnership I want to offer my thoughts on the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation event I was at because I think it's one every college tennis community not only is capable of replicating but really should moving forward and then we'll run you through the usual rundown tour level events Davis Cup challengers ITFs we'll talk about it all of course joining me to do so as he has each and every week of the season of the summer, I should say, is the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets shows. Of course, you all know him as the founder of the No Add No Problem blog and podcast, a podcast that this week features Chloe Beck, who recently announced she will be foregoing her final season of eligibility at Duke to turn pro. Of course, if that wasn't enough, you know he's a contributor extraordinaire here at Crack Rackets. And as we learned this summer, not the best go-kart racer. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons, joining us once again. Jay. Hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Final summer edition of this podcast.
0: How are you feeling, my friend? I'm feeling good. I feel like it's the last event of the summer. I need to just really let my hair down unhinged <laughs> before we get all buttoned up for our non-summer series. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've got a lot to discuss. Yeah, until we're back on YouTube and we have to be buttoned up <laughs> and cleanly shaven every day. And yeah,
1: I mean, it's been a blast. I appreciate you joining me uh, through all of these shows. I appreciate what you guys have been doing, you guys, what you have been doing over at the No Ad, No Problem podcast because it feels like a lot of the players we have been talking about, you have had on your show to discuss these things with them. You've helped us guide our way through all the news that's emerged throughout the course of the summer. Again, you've become our college tennis beat reporter. I'm always appreciative of how much spare time you offer to us here, Jay. So I do want to offer you thanks to start today's show because, again – You do all this for free for listeners that don't know, and you gave me time in the summer, not just the college tennis season. So very grateful for that, my friend. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, again, we got some great news to discuss for all of you listeners today. We're going to, again, run you through the latest developments, ITA, ITF program, Oklahoma Tennis Foundation, talk you through all the results, and then, yeah, we'll get going into our coverage of this year's college tennis season. Let's get right into it. Let's start with the news, Jay, the biggest announcement of the week, unequivocally, the announcement of the ITA-ITF program moving forward. Jay, talk it through our listeners. What did we learn? What can they expect moving forward?
0: Well, yeah, for the first time, there is now a partnership between the ITA and the ITF that offers tangible A tangible pathway for these college players into these ITF tournaments, what they are offering. And we saw something similar for the men earlier this year announced in January. So better late than never on the women's side. But uh, what this looks like is it starts now, September 2023, it will run for 10 months and it is. The people who are eligible are the players who finished top five in the final year end rankings, plus the NCAA uh, champion and runner up. So for those keeping track that is Fiona Crawley of North Carolina, Mary Stoyana of Texas A&M, Liam of Georgia, Diana Schneider of NC State, who spoiler, won't need these wild cards, (laughs) Uh, Maddie Sieg of USC, Fungren Tian of UCLA, and Lane Sleeth of Oklahoma. So those are your seven women who are eligible for this. What are they eligible for? If you are not returning to college, so someone like Lane Sleeth who has announced that she will not be using her fifth year, she's eligible for five uh, entry into ITF events at the 160K level two 40K level events, and then two 25K level events uh, directly into the main draw. If you are returning to school, then you are eligible for three of these events. That would be the 60K and the 40K. So uh, that is what these seven players are eligible for. It runs for 10 months. So I assume that will then align us with the July 1 start date of what the ATP IT accelerator program has offered. Yeah,
1: And again, both of these accelerator programs are single centric, but it's a dramatic step forward. It's progress we have been calling for for years, as long as you and I have been watching and covering this sport, and you see tangible progress. It is a win, it is to be celebrated. Right now, there are 15 men in the top 100 of the ATP singles rankings, there are five women in the top 100 of the WTA singles rankings you know, it would be great if from a doubles perspective, we could get the accelerator going, not that it's needed because there are 37 or 36 top 100 men. I think it's 17 top 100 women, five top 25, uh, six top 25 on the women's side. I think it's eight top 20 on the men's side. College tennis is a realistic pathway to the pros. And what this ATP accelerator tour, ITF, ITA accelerator program acknowledges is the truth in that fact. And again, you would have loved to see in 100K, perhaps, because that is the closest equivalent we have to a challenger. That 60K is kind of in between. That's a great start. You know, 40Ks, 25Ks, these players get into, on, uh, the 25Ks in particular, these players get into on their own merits pretty quickly. You would have loved to just see all of those boosted to 40s and 60s. But that's nitpicking in what is, again, more broadly, a dramatic step forward, Jay.
0: Yeah, it's a, you know, look, this is a a massive win, right? But I do think it's worth acknowledging in a fair critique that this is, very far behind what we saw the men get offered, right? It is significantly fewer people. You're talking about five players versus 20. The uh, eligibility on the women's side for NCAA results is making the finals on the men's side. It's qualifying. It's fewer tournaments for returners are talking three on the women's side, six on the men's. And as you mentioned, it's lower level tournaments as well. I think the big takeaway for me is for many of these players at the top of women's tennis this is a nice to have, right? This is like a nice, okay, great. Maybe I earn direct entry into a 60K. It's not the game changer that it is on the men's side and particularly a game changer in evaluating whether or not you want to play college tennis for another season, but absolutely it's huge progress and um, codifying the relationships between these different entities is really great to see.
1: I think the best pronouncement would be it's a clear step forward, right? It is absolutely a step forward. There are things that hopefully you would like to see continue to grow. Maybe there is a subsequent WTA-specific announcement on the horizon as well. And, you know, again, boy, wouldn't that be fascinating. It's a great first step. I I think more than anything else, I am extraordinarily encouraged to see this. And again, this, the Accelerator program. We're making progress moving forward. Something for all of us college tennis fans to get excited about as, again, there are so many different players right now with college tennis ties experiencing success in the pro tennis world. That said, That's news item number one. You ready to move on to number two, Jay? I can't wait to hear about this one. All right. Number two on our list, our other news item of the day, and I already expressed this on the Mini Break podcast earlier on Monday. I know this GSP comes out on Tuesday I was in Oklahoma, Edmond specifically, the beautiful ECC facility, Edmond Center Court, 24 outdoor, six indoor, the most miraculous clubhouse with locker rooms, and they're building a training facility up top. And we're just going to see this facility involved in more college tennis events moving forward because the event the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation put on this weekend and what I got to experience was exceptional. And I promise I'm not just buttering up people I'm immensely grateful to, obviously, Worth disclosing, they paid us to be there to cover the event, of course. But this is just what every community should have, Jay. This is what you dream about as a kid who wants to be involved in tennis at every level growing up—is to have those opportunities at an event where, you know, the field was primarily composed of people with ties to the local tennis communities. And for those that don't know, this Oklahoma Tennis Foundation Open—you had eight teams of four, two men, two women on each team. Uh, it was a it was an eight-team draw, but everyone plays three matches. World team tennis format: set of men's and women's doubles, set of men's and women's singles, mixed doubles set to decide things. There's an overtime feature because it's by total games, one, not individual sets, whatever it may be. So you have to win the final point of the match still to win the match. You know, again, we're in Edmond, Oklahoma, so you're able to have Mark Mandlick, Alex Martinez, Justin Schlageter, you know, alums like Alex Galia. you had on the women's side, Staker and Donna Guzman, and I'm blanking on others, uh, Julia Garcia-Ruiz and Romana Siskova, who eventually I'm going to learn how to pronounce her name correctly. You know, for Oklahoma State, I got to see Komar. I got to see Carrington, Zink, Garcia, Derek Pham in his first action, what that was like to get to see the Tulsa men and women as well. And then, you know, to have former players come in as well. I'm blanking on her last name right now. But Whitney played number one singles doubles for Oklahoma back in the Dave Mullins days. I apologize. I'm blanking on her last name right now. But someone like that, Seth Moore, who are teaching pros in the area. And, you know, uh, oh, my God. Uh, Again, there's a lot of names going through my head. Aaron, last name I'm blanking on, but he's going to be the Virginia Tech head coach starting this week. Uh, he was in play throughout the course of the weekend, and the rivalry you got to see in that final Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma players, it was a real rivalry. There were real crowds in play, and you saw kids who came for the kids' clinic. It was about a 60-kid kids' clinic. They all stuck around, some of them in the ball boy, ball girl role, and you know made this just such a special environment. And then you're raising money on top of it as well. And again, a lot of that credit, Bill, Lisa, Bruce, Donna, the entire Oklahoma Tennis Foundation team, they were on top of it. They deserve so much credit for what they did. But to have an event like this early in the fall where you have, by the way, at this ECC, this is where the three local high schools all play their matches, and they got 24 courts so they can afford to fit them all. To have a facility like that, come on now, like that's the dream. It's public you know, all three high schools play out of there. You have colleges, from, uh, the three local, or biggest colleges in the area, Tulsa, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, all feeding into this event. You have former players, pros in the areas mixing in as well, all of it to raise money. This is the ideal event, Jay. Like, this is it. And, This is how you generate excitement in a community about tennis. You do something like this. Now, it's worth noting, guess what they have next year? They're going to do this event again. The very next week, they're hosting a 60K. Come on now. Like, again, part of it is, again, shout out to Bill. Shout out to this whole team. They found the money to do this. But if you have a tennis community you think is excited about this sport, this is how you get them engaged. You have, you know, the Calcutta where we're raising money and betting on teams in the most fun way, and, you know, sponsors are giving things out that you can bid on all the money directly to charity. I'm just all in on it, Jay. It was a tremendous experience to watch Tyler Zink and Anastasia Komar almost work their way back from a three-game deficit. They win mixed doubles. They force overtime against Martinez and Garcia Ruiz, who then go all out in the deciding tie break. You know, again, Martinez looked real good. Zinc looked really good. I get why he's had the double success that he did. And again, I loved hanging out with these teams and getting to do my preseason scouting as well. I'm buying a lot of stock. Is Oklahoma State top 10 on the women's side, Jay? Some people are asking, what do we do with this Oklahoma team? Some new pieces, but good pieces. Some are asking. I really think the Big 12 is a fascinating conference this year. Again, Another year where I haven't done my Texas Tech research, but five of the six are getting into the NCAA tournament. I loved it, Jay. I- I'm all in. Thoughts?
0: Well, uh, it sounds like a better produced event than NCAAs.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, it's smaller. It, you can't even compare the scale. Like, it's it's an unfair comparison.
0: So who are we raising money for? The Oklahoma Foundation? Tennis Foundation,
1: which Got provides it. playing opportunities and rackets and clinics across the state to players who need them and, and facilities that do.
0: Well I think that the tie-in certainly next year with the 60k will be fantastic right that's just mm-hmm. built in press for it uh are there any incentives for the I'm glad local you asked schools
1: Well there's also incentives for the players these players got
0: paid this was a, pro, a
1: non-sanctioned pro event no different than you know a UTR or whatever it may be where I think it was a $25,000 prize pool and again this is where the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation come on now like what a treat that was I'm pretty sure it doesn't count as a competition date either. I know coaches weren't in attendance to make that point abundantly clear. This is, again, an exhibition sort of charity event, but we're making sure the players are enjoying, you know, making their time worthwhile. They're getting good matches in, a lot of set play in. It was ideal.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they have a tremendous amount of support there. I know one of the challenges is for a lot of these coaches who might want to do that in their local community, finding those sorts of sponsors and evangelists for college tennis. But I mean, that can take you so far, right? Just look at what this is doing in the Oklahoma community, bringing pro tennis to uh, Oklahoma. That's a huge coup for the Oklahoma state and Oklahoma women's teams there to talk about having a 60 K there. So uh, it's uh, tremendous that what they're doing there.
1: Yeah. And look again, money doesn't isn't grown on trees. You got to find it. It's a credit to Bill Toller, the uh, Towler, the entire team that they found the money that they put that up. But there are Bills who exist in tennis communities across the country, and you just got to find them and tap into them. And again, the excitement surrounding this event, I think it's only going to get bigger moving forward. He was joking around with me. There are parts of ECC where you look and you go, oh, you could put a stadium court there if you needed to. And again, I was in heaven. It was a blast. Can't thank them enough. I can think of coaches right now who will just get in contact with Bill. That would be my suggestion to any coach, any player who is intrigued. I will put you in touch with Bill. That is my promise because he's just a guy you want to be around. He knows the secret sauce. He will answer these questions better than I will. Uh, But sincerely, if you're listening to this, college coaches, and you're intrigued, how do you get an event like this starting? What are the mechanics behind it? He's the guy to talk to because... I was so impressed with what happened this weekend. Uh, And again, privilege for our Crack Rackets team to get to cover it all. That said, you know what else we get to cover is all the results from uh, players with college tennis ties in the pro circuit. And that's what we're going to do next now. Jay, for our final episode, we certainly were dealt plenty of results to discuss Let's start on the tour level side of things, the events that have WTA next to their names. Let's start with San Diego and Osaka, certainly San Diego. It feels fitting that in our final episode, we end by talking about the player who we probably spent the most time talking about throughout the course of these summer editions of The Deciding Point, and that's Emma Navarro, who finds herself in the top 50 of the WTA singles rankings for the first time, up to number 48, as she makes the biggest semifinal of her career as a qualifier in San Diego. You look for Navarro now, who, again, began January playing at the 25K level, playing at the 60K level, in 18 months, she's become a top 100 player. She's now a fi- uh, top 50 player, excuse me. She's now 51 and 21 overall on the year. You want to filter out just her tour-level events, fine. She's 20 and 14 across those semifinals in San Diego and Bad Homburg, quarterfinals in Strasbourg. She's had to come through in qualifying at most of those events. Gets win in Guadalajara to start the week as well, for what it's worth, over Maria Mateus, former Duke player, 49, not 48 in the rankings. I apologize. I mean, 22 years old, 18 months out of college, top 50 in the world. There are three top 50 NCAA singles champions now. Her, Stearns, and fellow San Diego semifinalist Danielle Collins back up to number 34 in the rankings as a result of her run. I know it's five versus 15 in the top 100, but Jay, we're in a healthy place because all these players, Stearns, Navarro, Schneider... You know, Again, they're all so young in their career, and they're not going away for a while, and there are plenty who are on the precipice of joining as well.
0: Yeah, uh, Christopher Clary tweeted out that there were three former NCAA women's singles champions now in the top 50, and he said, I'm not sure if this has ever happened before. I took that as a challenge, <laughs> and I couldn't find it in the this century. So we got really close when we had Lisa Raymond, Laura Granville, Jill Krabis, but – couldn't find it. So at least this century, I'm confident to say we've never had three former NCAA women's singles champions in the top 50. We have had 13 out of 33 make the top 50 in their career. But yeah, I mean, and we also have two players in Emma Navarro in Peyton Stearns who are doing this pretty fresh out of college, right? We both of them play the 2022 uh, NCAA season. You know, this was a fun event in San Diego because so many of these you know, U.S. players have played the you know, hard courts now in San Diego. So familiar with this facility Uh, and Emma has, you know, she didn't have the breakout that Peyton Stearns did at the U.S. Open, making the fourth round there. But she's had consistent week in, week week out results, which have now elevated her. They're both. Well, within the top 50.
1: Yeah, and sneaky, satisfying again for her to get a win over Sasnovich after Sasnovich beat her from 5 0 down in the third in Cleveland a couple of weeks ago. Again, it's the forehand, it's the speed, her ability to match the pace of Sonia Kennan. And she's just never flustered. Like, she just has the demeanor of a top 50 player. She's always in control, always in rhythm. And again, she started hitting through some backhands against Kennan in a way I'd never seen her do before. I wonder if she might have tapped into something there. Uh, Those were your big San Diego results in the single side doubles. Collins makes the final with Vandewey in her final event. Kato into another semifinal as well. She has consolidated uh, her—excuse me, not Kato. Suchiati has consolidated her spot in the top 30 of the doubles rankings. Really good week in San Diego, Jay. You ready to move on to Osaka? Yep. Yeah. Well, in Osaka, the big one's Ariane Hartono, who makes her first career quarterfinal at the tour level. Hartono, the former Ole Miss standout, up to 191 now in the rankings as a result, Uh, 27 years old. I mean, again, it's a three-set loss for her in that quarterfinal to Hantama, definitely a winning opportunity, but a really good week for the qualifier.
0: Yeah, and she's had a really good summer. We've talked about yeah. her a few weeks now on this up on this episode. So, uh, you know, again, she's looking to get back into the just outside the top one hundred range. That's where she's been before. Um, so slowly making her way back up
1: in in slam qualifying zone, which just matters because you get into the slams, the big paydays, the big point uh, caches. Big opportunities for her. And again, she's back in that mix there. Speaking of back in the mix, let's move now to the 125Ks. How about Astra Sharma taking the title in Bucharest? Sharma, uh, three set wins over Jacqueline Christiane, then Sarah Irani in the semifinals and finals. She actually had to beat uh, excuse me four of the top five seeds, all three set victories consecutively. This 125K title, I would argue, probably the biggest title of her career. Charleston, too, probably a little bit bigger, actually, given she beat Jabur in the final. Sorry, memory check there. But biggest title for her since then, certainly. And, you know, with the results, she's back into the top 150.
0: Massive week for the former Vanderbilt standout, Jay. Yeah, and she's kind of struggled a little bit since that result in Charleston. I believe after that result in Charleston, if she was getting close to the top 100 there, maybe even cracked the top 100 uh, as her career high. But yeah, similar to Hartono, you know, looking to get back into the the top 100. And a uh, great result for her. Both of her best WTA results here have come on clay, Charleston on the green clay. Um, but yeah, I mean, her, her kick serve, one of the, you know, more... Uh, bigger weapons on clay certainly at a tournament at the 125k level
1: yeah the other two i have uh 125 or tour level doubles results i missed the osaka doubles contreras gomez into the semifinals so go doors um the other one at the 125k quinn gleason former notre dame standout she wins a title at the 125k level in doubles uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the city in which she won that title, but a shout out to her. I believe we had another semifinalist with college ties at that event. Still, big win for Gleason. Obviously, 125k doubles title is serious, serious points. Jay,
0: yeah, absolutely. She continues to make her push, you know, up in the doubles rankings. Um, you know, she's of that. I don't want to say slightly older generation, but you know, she's not of the Emma or Peyton vintage. She's my generation. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, still looking to make inroads there and you start to see a lot of these players, particularly in doubles, hone their skills over a few extra years. So, um, yeah, it's good to see her having results.
1: Yeah, all right, and those are your again tour level WTA results. Now no tour level ATP results, but we did have Davis Cup, and we had a massive week in Davis Cup for players with college ties. Let's start on the single side of things. Bordogoyo, a really impressive two and one, knocked out by Rusevori, but wins over Greek Spoor and Francis Tiafoe to have that after you know reaching the fourth round of the U.S. Open. Just talk about backing up a big result. Uh, One of the biggest winners of the week, and particularly since he was the Croatian number 1 this week, Jay, and he more than held his own. I know they didn't advance, but what a week for Goyo.
0: Well, I feel like Goyo had more success in Davis Cup before it started to break through at the ATP or slam level. Uh, He's always done really well in this format, and I've always attributed it to his college tennis days. Uh, I'm… You know, not to put words in his mouth, but he might say that as well. But yeah, of course, to then continue his form from New York is fantastic results. I'm
1: really hoping to get him on the pod soon. I deployed one of my number one lieutenants to try and make it happen. So shout out to him. He knows who he is uh, and who was very kind in trying to make it happen right away. Um, it's just a massive result. And yeah, it's funny because he's so much t- more tame than he was in college in Davis Cup matches. And yet... His energy is still exceeding sometimes that of his opponent. I'm like, yeah, but you should have seen him at wake when he was a freaking madman at times. Um, yeah, a massive week for Goyo, massive week for the Canadians as well. Probably the week of Lexi Galarno's career for him to get a win over Senego for him to uh, get a win over Tobilo just. Display the level he did in doubles as well. He and Pospisil going three and zero. Of course, you had the Diallo win over Musetti. You had Diallo beating Elias Emer as well. No Shapovalov, no FAA for the defending champs Canada, and yet it was the new guns. And God, watching Diallo on an indoor hard court. I mean, he's going to be everyone's list of players to break into the top one hundred in twenty twenty four. But he's going to be on everyone's list to break into that because it's just continue. You just see the weapons are so obvious, and you shouldn't move as well as he does at that size. And, you know, again, for Lexi to
0: maximize the way he has stellar. Yeah, well, and for this Canadian team, you know, they won Davis Cup last year, right? And so to have you know someone like Diallo, who wasn't playing in singles there with with FAA and Chapovalov, you know, to get that experience, right, similar to being a freshman on a team, maybe you're not in the lineup, but you're going through all the the motions to do so. So they uh, they take Davis Cup very seriously. They have the experience of winning last year and. You know, both Galarno and Diallo were well prepared to step into the role. Yeah,
1: well said. And, you know, again, elsewhere, Kraychak, Rahm go 2-1 and one overall. Mackie 1-1 one one overall. Good win over Dino Prismich. Had the match point against Vertanen. Loses that match. But Vertanen hit a ridiculous forehand on the match point. I don't blame Mackie for that one. There were other reasons the U.S. fell short. Discuss them on Monday's edition of the Mini Break podcast feed. I didn't miss any other Davis Cup, did I? I mean, Neil Skupski... Backhand down the line return, down a mini break, third set breaker against France. He makes that down the line. His reaction volley is exceptional, and what is ultimately he and Evans winning that match, Great Britain advances. He was awesome. I think that's everyone, Jay. I'm sure I'm missing someone.
0: Yeah, I'll just say a lot of parallels between Davis Cup and fall college tennis. In the difficulty of following nice. the uh, uh, results everywhere. So, you know, not too dissimilar from fall college tennis.
1: No, it's good. It's getting us in the mood for the start of the new season, Jay. That's how following Davis Cup this past weekend. From there, we move to the Challengers. I mean, again, the biggest segment here is what we saw in Carey. College ties everywhere. Vivez makes his first quarterfinal, and for a TCU team that's going to need him this year, for him to gain some confidence after not playing in the quarterfinals, uh, semifinals, excuse me, last season, or maybe he did play in the semifinals. I don't know. He was in and out of the lineup for what was a really good TCU team, but they're going to need him this year. He quarters. You know, Kipson makes the semifinals. It's a really good result for the American who continues to move further and further. I believe he's at a new career high right now, 246, yes, in the singles rankings. Rinky Hidjikata into the top 75 for the first time. Now, he gets knocked out in a three-set final by Zach Sfida, but Rinky wins the doubles title as well with former Oklahoma NCAA doubles champion Andrew Harris. They knock out Will Blumberg in that final, Uh, former—the only 10-time All-American in college tennis history— We're done counting Mickelson, but we had a Toby Samuel quarterfinal in singles, and he and Connor Thompson reached the semis in doubles. Now, look, just about everyone in the round of 16 had college tennis ties. Shout out Garrett Johns. He gets a win coming through qualifying. Thoughts on Kerry, Jay?
0: Yeah, well, I was focusing on Toby Samuel and Pedro Vivas making their first quarterfinal at the ATP Challenger level. a Great result for them, and yeah, uh, Rinky... Again, not a good week to be Will Blumberg.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, shout out to Rinky Starts the year winning the Australian Open doubles title. Crazy. Again, for him to back up that four, with uh, his fourth round last week at the U.S. Open with a challenger final this week. Context of his career, that's a really good result. It keeps him in the top eighty. He's getting into the Australian Open on his own ranking. Yeah, he's killed it. I'm really happy Samuel and Thompson had a good semifinal run as well because they're a very good doubles team. And... You know, again, I I think both of them will have a career in that moving forward. Other challenger results on the week, Max Cressy, title in France. He had fallen outside the top 100. He's like 106 right now-ish in the rankings, but needed that title run and, you know, again, gets it there. Uh, You look elsewhere, Boris Arias, former LSU, uh, standout. He wins a challenger title in doubles in Santa Cruz, knocks out a former Baylor, All-American, Matthias Soto in the final there. And you look for Arias right now, 110 in the the doubles rankings. That's a career high for him. You look for Mati Soto, still pretty early in his career. He's up to a new career high, 223 in the doubles rankings as well. So good week for him. Thoughts on those title runs, Jay?
0: Yeah, well, for Cressy, it helps that we're back on indoor hard, you know, so so much of the European indoor hardcourt season. I'm sure he will play uh, and hope to get his ranking back up inside the top 100. As you mentioned, he's fallen outside of it, which is hurting our numbers in terms of number (laughs) of players with college tennis ties. Uh, We're at 15 right now. As you tweeted out today, it'd be great to be up to 16 if Cressy could get back in there.
1: Yeah, I'd love to hit 40 in the doubles as well. Wouldn't that be fun? 40%. That just sounds like a strong number, and I think we could do it— and in that spirit, King Stalder, who have been in that conversation, they reached the semifinals of a challenger this past week. Hunter Reese into a quarterfinal. Other winners at the challenger level: Sinclair, ieni in singles, doubles throughout the course of the week in China. That's all I got at the challenger level, Jay. Did I miss anything? Winners in what? They uh, win one matches. Like again, winners on the like they they didn't lose everything. They did get a win this week. Um, You know, again, we're trying to give shout-outs as we look across the board. But that said, let's move to the ITF level now, because we do have a handful, more than a handful, I would say, of results to discuss. Start on the women's side, because he'd get mad at us if we didn't mention it. Simon Earnshaw, I saw Nell Miller win her title at the 15K in Monastir. I believe that's our only title winner of the week, Jay, on the women's side. But look, Nell Miller's an NCAA doubles champion, her hands are elite. You look for her right now in the doubles rankings. She's currently sitting at 603. She's one of those players who could absolutely be a top 100 doubles player, my uh, opinion, at some point in her career.
0: Yeah, I was surprised not to see her play more this summer, particularly in the UK in a lot of those events. I don't know if she was hurt. But that would have been a really big opportunity for her and and Rejaki to partner up. Um, But that didn't happen. So it's good to see her out on tour now that she's exhausted her eligibility. But, yeah, one of the better volleys that we've seen in the past years. Mm -hmm. So that's the only title run I had now.
1: Listeners will know it's one of our running bits of the week. I always forget something. Did I forget something else, Jay, or do you have any any other standouts you'd like to point out?
0: Well, I focus in on the singles results here. I don't have any singles results for the women on the ITF, uh, but I just have three names for you that I'll call out. Uh, The first is uh, we've chatted about her brother. Yasmin uh, Mansouri. I agree. Yes, Yes. exactly. She briefly played at Duke during the abbreviated 2020 season. Uh, She made the semifinals of a 25K in Bulgaria. And, And finaled the doubles at that event for what it's worth. There you go. Thank you for checking out the doubles. The coach Earnshaw runs deep in you. Literally,
1: Uh, I, 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 I mean this with love. He politely, very politely said, don't forget to check the doubles to me. And I want you to know that every week it takes me an hour to prepare the tabs for the men and the women because I check the singles and the doubles now every time.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, thank you for yeah. that's a CYA for me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Yasmin Mansori, briefly in college, probably oh, you know hot might second. not. Re- yeah, hot second, also abbreviated season. But yeah, she's had a ton of results at the 15k level. This is her first semifinal, the 25k. Um, so good to see that for her. The other name that we have not talked about on this summer uh, edition is Mia Horvit, formerly of South Carolina you know, not a title run, but a quarterfinal at 25k. And so as someone who's still out there uh, looking to break into her pro career, I thought that was a good result for her, particularly given the dedication to travel down to Australia. And then lastly, uh, you had both Maddie Sieg and Fangran Tian, who we've seen a lot this summer. Sieg makes a 25k uh, semifinal in Portugal. She's sitting right at kind of her career high of 384 and Fangran, Tian, the NCAA singles champion, was making the quarterfinals at that event. But those were the names I had circled on the women's side.
1: Only a couple other things to add. Horvath played with Tanika McGiffin, former Tennessee player. They reached the quarterfinals in doubles at that 25K event. Leola Jean-Jean, quarterfinalist in singles, semifinalist in doubles at a 40K event. She's a name who has come up, I suppose, of late. And then I had Tian Hans, quarterfinals in doubles, What was my last 15K? Oh, Daria Kutzer, quarterfinal out of 15K. You know we're always going to give Daria Kutzer some love here on this show. Just like
0: we did last week.
1: Yeah, again, I'm a man of (laughs) a creature of habit, Jay, if nothing else. We got a lot to discuss on the ITF men's side of things, most notably champagne, of course. Jay, run us through what you saw there. What was
0: most notable? Well, I mean everyone with college tennis ties (laughs) and champagne, but the uh, the winner there, Liam Draxel, uh, wins his – Third pro title, uh, 15K there in Champaign, his first since announcing his departure from Kentucky, which I feel like is in question right now. Yes, he has deactivated his Instagram, but Kentucky itself has deleted his posts that were announcing his departure back in June. So. I would not be surprised if we see Liam Draxel back in Lexington this season, but uh, a good result for him there. He beats former Florida Gator Will Grant in the final there. Uh, A good run for him in the semifinals there, of course, rounded out by collegians uh, Zeke Zeke Clark, formerly of Illinois, and Shinsuke Mitsui of Tennessee.
1: Mitsui currently sitting at 787 in the rankings. I bet that's top 20. Amongst returning college players, probably up there, and he'll certainly be asked to step up in the Tennessee lineup this year. Yeah, big title for Draxel. Shout-out to my guy, Pat Maloney, finally healthy. Quarterfinalist there, Zeke Clark. You mentioned the other semifinalist in singles. Will Grant does go on with his former Florida doubles partner, Axel Nev to win their first ITF doubles title together. They uh, beat the All-Alliany duo of Zeke Clark, Kenta uh, Miyoshi, excuse me, in the final Shout out to Fenty uh, Maloney, semifinalist Kumar Rollins, both at, I think SMU at one point, if not both at A and M at one point. Um, anyways, they were the other semifinalists there. Yeah, Hunter hack a quarterfinalist. He got knocked out by Will Grant. Alex Petrov always when he appears at the top of the Illinois lineup, it's always something he loses to Zeke in three or forced to retire in that match. Champagne's always fun. You know again, I would say our future there's a chance now Liam Draxel goes on to win the NCAA singles title. We've seen it happen. What? Where how did Ethan do last year in
0: Champagne? No, that's the wrong one. This is uh, that's the oh, it's 25k. Champagne two? Or yeah, this Champagne is like, 1. This is Champagne Yeah, Champagne two. 1, the 25k yeah. in the summer is the one that both Ben Shelton and uh uh Ethan uh, maybe? No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, Ben Shelton and Ethan.
1: Yeah, okay. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Well, then sorry. I apologize. Apologies Liam Drexel you will not be winning the NCAA title this year. Other title winners I have and I have a bunch of them, Jay, so you'll have to tell me if I've missed any. Luca Windeman, former Tennessee I don't know if standout, he was very good, uh, was Luca Weindemann? He wins the title in Monastir at the 15K with that result. Weindemann uh, currently sitting now at number 626 in the rankings, two off his career high of 624. Uh, you also at a bunch of different doubles titles as well. Any thoughts on the Weindemann singles title though, Jay? That's the only one, right?
0: Yeah, that was the only singles title I had outside of Draxel. I mean, this is the second, yeah. you know, career title. He played five for them in twenty twenty one. So uh again, just the the level of college town is very high when you start to see players from the bottom of the lineup go on and win pro titles and do it two times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Doubles titles. Harper Walner, another week, another title for the two Tennessee uh Harper, NCAA doubles champion. He was a standout. Walner, obviously solid in his multiple stops, uh, or in his multiple locations in his college career. But they win another title. Uh, You had Juan Carlos Aguilar, former Junior U.S. Open doubles champion. He wins another doubles title uh, at a 25K in Madrid. You had Jakob Schneider, Adrian Oatsbach, win a 15K title in Germany. And then Nick Bible, Eric Van Schelboim winning the title in a 25K, I k. I'm not. I, I believe, in Rwanda, Bible, the one with the college tennis ties there. Sid Banthia, semi-finalist at that event. Thoughts on the doubles winners, Jay? Shout New out to New names them. every week. Yeah, yeah shout it, out to them. All right. The other notable results you have for me, what you got?
0: Well, I have three finalists for us. Okay. Uh, Arthur Ferry making the finals of the 25K in Italy. Uh, he's won two 25Ks this year. He's up to a career high of 359 formerly of Stanford. Oliver Crawford, we talked about last week, runner-up in Rwanda, runner-up again, making a lovely runner-up for himself there. Uh, He's up to a career high of 259 as well. And then a little bit more of a throwback name, uh, someone that I know is close to your heart is Sebastian Fancelau, formerly of Pepperdine, making the final of the 25K in Portugal.
1: Yeah, no, all good names. And, you know, again, in those events as well, Guy uh, Eradakunda uh, reaches the semifinals in the Oliver Crawford event. Gio Ordani, second straight week, we've brought up his name. He's a semifinalist in the Arthur Ferry 25K event. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Fanislo, who was the finalist. I thought there was one more college guy in that event. Uh, was it – oh, Duarte Valle was a quarterfinalist at that event as well. So a shout-out to him. I can rapid fire through the rest of mine then as we wrap up this final edition of the Summer Deciding Point. You ready, Jay? Have at it. Jacob Brum, quarterfinalist at a 25K. Shout out to him. Made the trip to Australia. Joshua Carlton is of Oregon, correct? He That's correct. He re- makes the final in doubles with Blake Ellis. Um, so shout out to me for not forgetting him because uh, it's happened at times throughout the course of this year. Clement Shiedek. Quarterfinals at the 25K in Madrid. Uh, we had Marcus McDaniel, Andreas Martin, both coming back to Georgia Tech. They both reached quarterfinals at the 25K in Monastir. Uh, Keshav Tropa Martin, semifinalist in doubles at that event as well. You had Trey Hildebrand, uh, Noah Schachter. They reach a semifinal at a 25K in, uh, in Sintra. Duarte Valle, a semifinalist in doubles there as well, but Schachter... Uh, Hildebrand, one of the teams we've talked about most, I would say, this summer, along with Segerman and Trahac. Uh, what were my other ones? Why did I have you on my list? I don't know why. Oh, Oatsbach quarterfinalist, that was my final one, uh, at a 15K this week in singles, as well as that doubles title. I miss anything, Jay? If
0: you did, sorry to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we did our best throughout the course of this summer. And again, I'm going to try to find a way to bring this show back in some sort of iteration moving forward because I just like having this piece to keep all of you up to date. Why do we believe so much in this college tennis here at Crack Rackets? Not only is it an outstanding product, it's a legitimate pathway to the pros. And again, the more people learn about that, the better it becomes for everyone. Of course, we're excited for the start of a new season. And again, we are very excited to have our first college tennis coverage on our YouTube channel of the year coming up this weekend. Pepperdine, Pepperdine, Michigan, Kentucky, Louisville men all competing in Pepperdine. We'll have coverage first ball to last, I believe, Friday, Saturday, Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. I'm ready, Jay. All Americans, first week of October, regionals, fall mats on the horizon. Before we know it, it'll be the dual match season. We'll be preseason top tenning. We'll be ready to rock and roll. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show?
0: no i mean we're approaching very quickly to all americans it's pre-qualifying not this weekend but the week after so it's coming up
1: yeah so again a shout out to all of you who have tuned in throughout the course of the summer it's been our pleasure to be able to continue this show again a massive 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 thank you to you, John J. Parsons, for putting up with my nonsense for all of these weeks consecutively. It does not go unappreciated here at Cracked Rackets, nor do the efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a f***ing of an job to do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A shout out to him. With all that said... For the last time this summer, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, dare I say, I think that was our best show of the summer. So we end where we started. What do we tell all of our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.